And welcome to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today we're sort of continuing with our uh, my month of having great physical therapists on and great researchers and great presenters on, and today is, is no different. I'm very excited to have on the show Diane Lee. And Diane graduated from the University of British Columbia with a Bachelor of Science in Rehabilitation in 1976. She has been a fellow of the Canadian Academy of Manipulative Therapy since 1981 and completed her certification in intramuscular stimulation in 2001. And Diane is the co-founder of Discover Discover Physio with Linda Joy Lee. And in addition to that, she's the owner, director, and a practicing physiotherapist at Diane Lee and Associates in White Rock, British Columbia, Canada. So, Diane, thank you so much for calling in, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Karen. Okay, so I, I obviously, I'm based in, in New York City, and a couple of weeks ago I had the pleasure of seeing both Diane and, and Linda Joyley talk about their integrated systems model for pain and disability and how they use that model to evaluate and to treat their patients and um, also a friend of mine has taken the Discover Physio course. A couple of friends have taken the Discover Physio course, and they have said that it has just completely changed the way that they look and treat, look at and treat their patients. So I wanted to know more about this. So, uh, Diane, the first question is, and it's just an easy little question, but what is, the, what is the integrated systems model for pain and disability? So if you can give some background as to the inception and, and kind of where you're at today with that. Well, first of all, Karen, it's really difficult to, in, in three words or less, try to define what you do and have developed over collectively 50 years of clinical practice. So the integrated systems model is an approach that Linda Joy and I have developed um, to use and to teach clinicians worldwide in terms of how to organize all of their theoretical, research, clinical, and personal knowledge that we gain to facilitate uh, clinical reasoning to determine what is the best way to treat the individual patient standing in front of you right now and how to determine a way that has the highest probability of obtaining the best outcome. So it's a highly patient-centered and individual model. There's no recipes or protocols in this approach. And it functions as a framework to help clinicians organize information. And we like to think of it a bit like a, a closet organizer. Mm-hmm. So we look at both the subjective and the objective um, examination findings. We use an interpretive reasoning approach and, and reflect on all the relevant findings to try and develop sound hypotheses on what's driving not only the patient's pain experience, but their disabilities and functional limitations. And I know that sounds really generic and broad, and, and we'll get into the specifics of what mm-hmm. the model is, but it, it really is a whole-person approach that's evolved from over 50 years of clinical and personal experience that considers both the research evidence and our experience. And one of the toughest things that we had to do was come up with a name to label how it is that we uh, assess and treat uh, not only patients but athletes and another individual. So the title of this model, the Integrated Systems Model, evolved with the writing of the fourth edition of my book, The Pelvic Girdle. Mm-hmm. Now, LJ is a major contributor to this fourth edition, and the book highlights the Integrated Systems Model through the lens of the pelvis, even though we use this approach for everyone, regardless of their condition, pain, or disability. And each word of this title 
was chosen very carefully, and it reflects the things we really believe that are critical for optimal health and function. Mm. We truly are greater than the sum of our parts, and each system within the body is interconnected. And although each system can be considered separately, in other words, the articular system, nervous system, digestive system, psychological system, we we are a a number of different systems, Mm -hmm. optimal health can only occur when these differentiated systems are linked or integrated. Sure. So as physiotherapists, we assess movement primarily, and we realize that multiple things can impact how we move. So in addition to biomechanical factors, how we think, what we believe and how we feel can have a significant impact on how we move. And all of these factors are considered in the integrated systems model when we're assessing the strategies that one's using to perform something we call a meaningful task, which mm-hmm. I think we're going to get into a bit later. Yeah. So in summary, it's a whole person, whole body approach. And while it may seem overwhelming and quite broad initially, it's really quite a logical and fairly simple approach to use clinically and highly effective. And, you know, when you're talking about this integrated systems model, are you combining both, you know, the evidence-based research as well as experience and and what you're seeing anecdotally? Because I know that, you know, in, in the world of physical therapy, I feel like there are some therapists who are really just only doing whatever the research dictates, and then there are others who are only doing really, you know, the saying, well, I don't know why it works, but it does, so I'm just going to treat the patient that way. <clears throat> so does this sort of, it seems like this kind of blends sort of your experiences along with the research. Absolutely. Um, the approach is highly evidence-based when we consider the original definition of evidence-based practice as originally proposed by Sackick and his team. Mm-hmm. And that is that a clinician sort of consider the available research evidence in the context of the patient presenting in front of them and then use their clinical expertise, which includes their clinical reasoning, to determine whether or not the evidence actually applies to that, to that patient at all. Sure. So, we, we believe that, that neither following only the research and doing what the research says or following only clinical experience is, is a, um, while both can get good outcomes, I think your best outcome is when you blend the two together. Yeah, and, and I agree. And, you know, when we look at this, the integrated systems model, um, I was listening to, you know, the lecture that both you and LJ gave at IFOMPT, and one of the things that sort of struck me was, um, using the word model versus using classification systems. So why, and, and you said, you know, each word was chosen very carefully. So why model and not classification? Oh, great question. So research has clearly shown in that unless we subgroup individuals with common regions of pain, so for example, low back pain, that the findings of most research will be insignificant because of something that's been called the washout effect. In other words, what works for one person with back pain may not work for another because all their pain, although the pain is in the same place, the cause is different. Of course. And Elvin and I thought we could develop a classification, and actually the first publication of our approach was in the Journal of Bodywork in 2007 after we presented at the first fascial conference at Harvard in Boston. And at the time, we called our approach a system-based classification. However, when we started using it as a classification clinically, it failed. We always found someone who didn't fit the classification, and that's mm-hmm. the problem with classifications. There will always be someone who's outside of any box you create. So now what do you do? 
So we decided that what we were really doing was understanding the individual characteristics of each person and not putting them in boxes at all, but rather treating them individually. So the integrated systems model is a framework. It's not a classification system. It's a framework that attempts to explain each person's clinical puzzle. And since no two puzzles are the same, because every individual story and presentation is unique, we are not homogenous physically, culturally, or socially. Mm -hmm. And there's no such thing as an average patient, and there'll always be outliers. So we need models that facilitate an understanding of the unique features of each presentation and a way of prioritizing what is important to the clinical picture and what's okay to ignore. So this model is all about developing sound hypotheses that direct treatment specifically mm -hmm. for one patient at a time. Yeah, which, you know, like you said, no, like two people may have low back pain, but even so, yes, it's not coming from the same place, but the experience is completely different. Absolutely. You know, because everyone's output of pain is completely different. And, and again, that kind of leads me into the next question, uh, sort of piggybacking on, on your answer to that last question. Uh, also, during your the lecture at IFOMP, you said a phrase that really sort of struck a chord with me and that I really loved, and it, it is, what has meaning to the patient goes beyond pain. So can you explain that, and how does that incorporate into the integrated systems model? So one of the first things that we do when the patient is sitting across from us is we hear the patient's story. And very often, physical therapists are taught to ask the patients about their pain with the assumption that they're coming to them with the pain. And if you ask somebody where they hurt, they're going to ask the question and they're going to tell you where they hurt. But in fact, that may not be what has brought them to see you. So how we address this initial question um, really dictates the answer that we get. And what has meaning to the patient often goes beyond or doesn't even include pain. Mm -hmm. And you will never hear what has meaning to them unless you let them lead the questions. So, for example, instead of saying, tell me where you hurt, what makes it worse, what makes it better, mm -hmm. we like to open the interview by introducing ourselves and saying, you know, what can I do for you today? How can I help? And it, it, leads, a, it leads a very open canvas for them to then choose what has priority to them or meaning to them to tell you about. And it may be that their leg doesn't feel as strong since they had their incident of sciatica, or it may be that they leak urine when they run since having had their babies, and maybe it's a urinary incontinence issue that's bringing them to you. Or maybe it's just a fear of, of getting back into a, uh, a certain practice, a certain part of their yoga practice or a certain run, whatever it may be, um, since an, an injury. But if you don't leave them that open slate, you will never know what is really significant to them. So we really like to open um, the interview by letting them lead, and then we guide the interview or the discussion according to uh, the, the responses that we get. Because what we're looking for from the story is, is three things. We want to be able to understand the sensorial dimension of their experience. In other words, what are you feeling that feels uncomfortable or unpleasant? What do you think is going on? So what are their cognitive beliefs around um, their current experience of their body? And how is it affecting you emotionally? What do you, how do you feel about what you're thinking that you are feeling? So those three components are really critical to gain from hearing the patient's story. Mm -hmm. And then from the story, we can then choose something that we call the meaningful task which is quite unique to the integrated systems model.
And before before you get into that, I'm actually going to take a quick commercial break, and because I don't want to have I don't want to go off on that because I know I have a lot of questions about meaningful tasks. So we're going to take a quick break, Diane, and when we come back, we're going to continue right on and talk about the meaningful task and and what what exactly that is and how it integrates. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Lebowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Are you concerned about the future of your business or career? Would you like it all to just be better? Well, the way to do that is through better communication. And the best way to do that is training from the team at Improving Communications. This is Larry Sharp, host of the Ivory Tower Radio Program and director at Improving Communications. Does your office need better leadership, customer service, sales, or maybe better writing or speaking skills? Could they be better at dealing with confrontation, conflicts, touchy subjects all are covered here at improving communications if you're in the new york city area stop by one of our public classes or get your human resources in touch with us the website is improvingcommunications.com that's improvingcommunications.com improve your professional environment be more effective be happier and make more money improving communications that's the answer Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by physical therapist, uh, Diane Lee, and we're talking about the integrated systems model, uh, a model that she uh, co-founded with Linda Joy Lee. And just to sort of a quick review, we were just talking about uh, going into what a meaningful task is and, and why it's important as as we, the physical therapist, to sort of let your give your patient that sort of open-ended question and kind of lead them through the interview so that you can find out what their meaningful task is. So Diane, I love and I will be using now, how can I help? <laughs> Instead of saying Okay, well, what makes it worse? What makes it better? What's, you know, just so focusing on the pain when, like you said, maybe it's not the pain that's driving them to come to see you. Um, the, only, the hard part about that is insurance company stuff, but that's a whole other show. 
you know. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other thing, you know, because insurance companies, if the, if the person doesn't have pain, they think that they're fine. So this is a model that um, we can apply and, in, and we have applied. For example, the Manchester City Football Club in the United Kingdom in Manchester City uses the integrated systems model approach to screen their football players, known as soccer players in right. North America. Um, and, and it's a way that they've been able to minimize injury uh, throughout the year. And, you know, if you can keep your best players on the pitch, you're going you're gonna to win. And they did win the Premier League last year. So, we, although we don't have numbers and data to substantiate it, we're able to. We're really quite excited to to show that the integrated systems model is, is an approach that can be used in, in with athletes and with people who don't necessarily have pain. But given that, it still is highly effective for people that have pain. Yeah. And we still do ask people questions about their pain because that's part of understanding the sensorial dimension, the sensory mm-hmm. dimension of their experience. So if pain is the primary thing they're experiencing, that's the first thing they'll volunteer. Mm-hmm. They'll say, well, I hope you can help me with my back pain, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the next question, of course, to ask is, well, what does make it, so it, does make it worse? Because somebody who gets back pain with sitting is going to have a very different assessment than somebody who gets back pain with running. Because the strategies that you use to sit and how you sit are very different from the strategies that you use and the things you need to be able to do to run. So very often what happens in a lot of physical therapy departments is that there's a a low back pain questionnaire, a knee pain questionnaire, Mm -hmm. a whiplash questionnaire, either condition-based or pain-based or focused questionnaires that the therapist pulls out of their drawer when the person in front of them says, I have knee pain or I have back pain. And they follow a sequence or a list of objective um, tests that somebody else has determined is is a priority and mm-hmm. an order in which there's a priority in which to do them. So it takes away the the uh, the art and the tapestry and the individual nature of the examination. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you look at something from a meaningful task perspective, so let's take an example. Say somebody has back pain with sitting. Mm-hmm. One of the tasks that we'll look at is going from a standing position through a squat to a seated position, and those will be the three meaningful tasks that pertain to the meaningful task of sitting. And it's a meaningful task because the patient has said, I get back pain when I sit. Mm -hmm. So we will then analyze how are you standing, what's happening in standing, what happens through the whole of the body when you sit. We will identify areas in the body, and this is a head-to-toe assessment. We'll identify areas in the body which are doing non-optimal things, a, a joint that's moving when it shouldn't be. We'll look for joints that aren't moving that should be. We'll look for things that we call failed load transfer, mm-hmm. joints and areas in the body which aren't transferring load really well. We'll, we'll identify them t- during this task. And, and then what we will then do is get into, into something that we call finding the driver. Yes. But let me just back off for a minute yeah. so we talk about more about the meaningful task. Mm-hmm. For the person who gets back pain when they run, going through a squat and analyzing what happens in a squat is meaningless. Mm -hmm. What it would be more meaningful would be to go through the motions of running, show me what happens when you stand on one leg, when you take a step forward, Mm -hmm. um, when you stand on one leg and and swing the other leg forward, when you rotate your thorax. So we'll take key components of that task and break them down into screening tests and assess them. Now, you'll notice that where those are two very, very common um, situations or contexts in which people will describe their back pain increasing, 
neither of those two situations did I say we would look at forward bending, right. backward bending, or lateral bending of the spine, because they don't relate to the person's meaningful task. So gotcha. we get no meaningful information from looking at them. Right, right. So it's, you know, as far as this model is concerned, the most important part, I, I suppose, initially, is making sure that you sit down and really listen to your patient. Absolutely. And and then from there, you're tailoring it to the individual needs of that patient. Like you said, instead of just saying, well, you know, you have knee pain, so let's do a Lachman's test and let's do this test and that test. But instead, listen to what your patient is telling you and then use your skills of observation and palpation in order to break down that task and, and find the driver, which we'll get to in a moment. Exactly. So if, when you're working, um, say, with a group from the Cirque du Soleil or uh-huh. people who are doing some pretty crazy things, and, for example, this fellow from the Cirque du Soleil came and, and we did a consult for him, and he basically said when he did a handstand on one arm uh-huh. and then bent his leg sideways over the top, so basically laterally bent his spine while he was standing on one arm, and when he did it um, on a three-foot pole 30 feet up in the air, his back started to hurt. Now, how are you going, how is forward bending or backward bending or our key, you know, lumbar spine assessment test going to simulate that at all? So what we did is we said, okay, show me the movement. Do it for me. And so he did, and uh, we had our hands all over this guy sort of figuring out exactly what was going wrong in the task as we were moving extensive equipment that was in the room all over the place because we felt that surely he would fall over. And, of course, he didn't. He was well controlled. And... Um, by by identifying, he actually had a ninth thoracic ring shift, and I think Linda Joy is going to take you through the thoracic ring approach when, yeah. when you do your interview with her. Yeah. So let me just suffice it to say that the ninth thoracic ring was the problem that he wasn't controlling. When we were able to manually give him a bit of support and control to his ninth thoracic ring and then hold that as he went through his one-arm handstand with these crazy leg movements, he could immediately feel the difference in his body, and that had such meaning for him that yeah. he now would all of a sudden, you have what we call patient buy-in. They, they're committed to to, um, to to your approach or to understanding, and, and they're more likely to go through and do what it is you want them to do when you've actually shown them that when I correct this part in your body, it makes a difference to that task. Mm-hmm. But that only works if the correction that you're making is done to something we call primary driver. Right. So, you know, let's say, let's just take, you know, not the the Cirque du Soleil guy doing crazy one-arm things, but let's take, you know, what you, we may typically have is a a low back patient, which I think the majority of patients I know that I see are sort of back patients or neck patients, but let's take that low back patient. And they come in, you do your uh, assessment, you do your interview, and they say, you know, it really hurts when I walk. So if you can kind of take us through, and what would you look at, and how would you find that primary driver? Right. Okay. Um, you know, with walking, we look at the key components of walking and what has to happen. One of the first things that has to happen is you have to be able to bear weight through one leg mm-hmm. and swing the other leg forward. Okay? 
So one of the first things we may do is may, we may ask them to do a one-legged standing test. And there's, you know, considerable evidence in, in the research or research evidence to, that tells us what should happen in a one-legged standing test. Uh, a lot of it's been done by Barb Hungerford uh, from the University of Sydney. And what we know in the one-legged standing test with respect to your pelvis is that your sacroiliac joints should remain in a stable position. Mm -hmm. From Andre Blenning's work, we know what that means is that the sacrum should remain mutated relative to the anominate. So with one hand, we can put a hand on the anominate, our other hand on the sacrum, and as they shift their weight onto the one onto one leg, we shouldn't feel the sacrum either counter-nutate or the anominate anteriorly rotate, which is the same relative movement, mm -hmm. um, as they perform this task. This is called an unlocking SI joint. It's non-optimal biomechanics. Simply put, they are failing to transfer load mm -hmm. through the pelvis when they shift their weight. Then what we may do is feel what's happening in their hip. The femoral head should remain centered or seated in the acetabulum. It shouldn't shift forward or back. Mm -hmm. So with one hand, we may feel the femoral head. The other hand, you may feel the anominate. And as they shift their weight onto the leg, you may uh, you then assess whether or not the femur um, remains still or centered into the acetabulum. If it shifts forward or if the leg rotates, again, that's still load transfer. And we'll give you one more. If you then go up into the thorax mm -hmm. and you have your hands on the thorax, and LJ will take you through all the individual rings, and if you feel, say, one thoracic ring, say the ninth ring, which is comprised of left and right ninth ribs and the T8 and 9, if you feel that ring shifting as they take their weight onto the leg, that's not optimal as well. So now we have what we call three sites of failed load transfers, three things that are going wrong as they initiate this task. Mm -hmm. They haven't even taken a step yet. Mm -hmm. They've just prepared to take their weight onto the right leg. So what are you going to do? Are you going to start by giving them control for their thorax? Or are you going to center their femur head and figure out what's going on with hip control? Or are you going to start with the pelvis? How do you know where to start? Yeah. Exactly. How do you know where to start? Two ways to know where you start. First of all, we look at the timing. Which one gives way first? Which okay. one fails to transfer load first? Does the SI joint unlock and then the hip shift? Or does the hip shift and then the SI joint unlock? If the hip shifts first and then the pelvis unlocks, the hip has greater priority. Okay. If you then palpate the ninth ring and you feel that the ninth ring shifts before the hip moves, then your ninth ring, the, ninth, the thorax, has more priority over the hip. So, so then, so then your, your initial hypothesis is, hmm, they're losing control in the thorax, then the hip, and then the pelvis. Mm -hmm. Well, if that's true, and I should be intervening and, and looking at stability and control in the thorax, if I correct and control, so if I manually and verbally give cues and support that stops that ring from shifting, if this is the primary driver, if I do that, then they'll be able to shift their weight onto one leg and not lose control of that SI joint, and the hip will remain centered. Mm -hmm. So, and that's a very, very common scenario. So control the thorax, and then through vectors through the diaphragm and the psoas and through a very, very deep, Tom Myers would call that the, the deep anterior swing or the deep front swing, mm -hmm. through, through vectors that, that connect them, myofascial vectors that connect them. It's really, really common for the thorax to be, uh, to be linked to the hip. So if you control the thorax and the hip remains centered and the SI joint doesn't lose its control, we would, call, we would say that the thorax is the primary driver that's creating the non-optimal strategy for the initiation of movement of the walking task. Okay. And then the rest of our investigation or assessment is all going to be about, well, why is this night thoracic ring shifting in the first place? Mm -hmm.
Conversely, if you felt that the hip shifted and then the SI joint unlocked and then the thorax lost control, you're in, you're in, the next part of your assessment would be all related to the hip. Well, gotcha. what's causing the hip to lose its center? What are, what's going on with respect to the joint, with respect to neuromuscular control in and around the hip? The rest of our assessment is going to be about the hip. So exactly the same problem, back pain with walking, mm -hmm. two very different drivers, two very different treatment approaches, depending on where we feel the, the, the criminal is um, in that scenario. Does that help to explain that a little bit? Uh Perfectly. That was the, the most perfect explanation. And on that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back um, uh, after this quick commercial. So uh, thanks, Diane. That was great. And uh, everybody stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, I'm Dana. And I'm Don. We, we are, are Certified, certified mediators. mediators. And I am a family and couples licensed therapist and author of Please Don't Buy Me Ice Cream. Our show, New Beginnings, is about helping you and your family recover financially and emotionally and start the beginning of your life. We'll answer your questions on divorce, family court, co-parenting, personal development, new relationships, blending families, and more. Dana and I will bring you to a place of empowerment and belief that even though marriages may end, families are forever. Join us every Monday starting September 10th at 10 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by physical therapist Diane Lee. And in the last segment, we were talking about what is a driver, how do you find it, um, which Diane gave a, an absolute great explanation. And so now, Diane, the next question is, so we've found the driver. We've corrected it with the patient's meaningful task. Then what happens? Hmm. The patient can't right. take us home. No, they can't. They can't. And, and we're not finished yet because we'll, now you found the driver for yeah. the meaningful task. Now we have to understand, well, what is it that is causing the, the primary driver, whether it's the hip or the pelvis or the thorax or the foot or the knee, what's causing it to, mm. to lose control or to not move? So 
the next part of the assessment to do something that we call vector analysis. So what we do as, we, as you're doing your correction, as you're bringing the hip back into the acetabulum or as you're unwinding the pelvis or stacking the thorax, you're using your hands to feel for what is it that is um, pulling the, the ring or the pelvis or the hip out of alignment. And the, we call it a vector because we don't want to, to, to jump into one of the four systems and bias ourselves into thinking, well, this is, this is about a stiff joint, this is about adductor tone, this is about the uterus or the bladder that, that's pulling. You don't really know. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you do your correction, you're feeling for where is the pull, um, the muscle imbalance or the myofascial imbalance really coming from. And then once you get a sense from your hands, what system, articular, neural, myofascial, or visceral system, seems to be the primary impairment, then we can then layer on either our, our joint mobility assessment or our neural system assessment, looking for differences in muscle tone, for trigger points, for muscles that are too toned and won't relax, or muscles that are tight and won't lengthen, or, or, or short and weakened, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We can then do further tests to clearly identify what are the system impairments that are creating the non-optimal strategy and, and driving the driver. Mm-hmm. And once you have that determined, you can come up with a lovely hypothesis that, for example, in our scenario of the hip-driven low back pain, mm-hmm. you may say that you've got hypertonic piriformis, hypertonic adductors that are causing the femoral head to be shifted forward mm-hmm. when they stand on the leg with poor control because of insufficient recruitment of their glutes, the deep fibers of the psoas. Sure. So we can then develop a program which then... Uh, address, addresses sort of rewiring neural networks and alignment, if you like, of the, the femoral head. So there's further tests. Once you find the driver, it just tells you what to go to further assess. And mm-hmm. it, it, the driver is truly where most of your initial treatment intervention is directed towards. And, and you know, this, like, like we said in, I, I think you said in an email to me, you wish that we had some visual here. So that we can sort of show that the, the pieces of the puzzle, you know, that strategy for function and performance puzzle, which includes, you know, articular, neural, visceral, myofascial, to kind of make that whole person, so to speak. So when you're, yeah. after you find the driver, you're sort of looking at those pieces right. to then so direct your treatment. Sort of create this visual for, for our listeners. The clinical puzzle is really a reflection tool or a way of charting all the findings in a way that encompasses the whole person. So if you imagine a circle, mm-hmm. and in the very center of the circle is our person with their, with their meaningful complaints and their meaningful past. And in the outer wheel of this circle, like in the rim of a bicycle wheel around the outside, is something we call strategies for function and performance, and it's where the tasks go that we assess. And then in the center of this, in the, the, the spokes of the wheel, if you like, there's these four puzzle pieces that, that reflect the systems that are commonly assessed by physical therapists, the articular system, neural, myofascial, and visceral system. And they are interconnected like little puzzle pieces in a jigsaw puzzle mm-hmm. because they are uh, inter- interrelated. And the strategy sort of is in a circle around the outside of them because it, it encompasses the, the whole person. This is the graphics that we use to represent uh, a very three-dimensional, three-dimensional model. Mm-hmm. So the system pieces in the middle are directly related to the driver. So the, the purpose of the, your, your whole strategy analysis on the outside for any task is to be able to determine where in the body is going to be the best place to start to intervene 
that is going to give you the best outcome. So we see foot-driven low back pain, knee-driven back pain, neck-driven back pain, and it, it, it just helps you really to identify, okay, if I can go release, align, teach a new way to connect and move for the meaningful task and focus my intervention. So the primary, the, the number one domino in, in, the whole, in the whole body system, then the rest will, for the most part, take care of itself. Now, I don't want your listeners to come away with the thought that there's only ever one problem in the body that solves absolutely everything. Of course not. Drivers change. Um, it's like layers of an onion. You go through treatment. You may find that a driver one day may be a pelvic control issue, so it can be pelvic-driven pelvic pain. And then as you get on top of that, you'll see that there's an old knee injury that's now starting to, to show up as being influential. And so it's a very dynamic process, and it's, it's kind of what makes our work fun and mm-hmm. that you, you never know what you're going to be doing from, from day to day. You, you can treatment plan. But what walks through that door that day has a plan of its own. And um, when you do a dance together, they, I also sort of think of therapy as, as what we are, is we're facilitators of change, and we illuminate a path towards change, and we travel on the journey with the patient for a while just so that we can get them, get them going down their own river of integration, as Dan Siegel calls it, um, trying to keep them away from the edges of the river, which is where chaos and rigidity reside, so mm. to keep them in, in the center of, of integration. But you really are the, the facilitator of that, and and um, drivers change. Drivers change, and areas of the body will change. And once a patient understands what the integrated systems model is really all about, they are highly receptive to you treating their foot for their headache or mm-hmm. their neck for their knee pain. They they get it. They they understand it actually a lot easier than than physical therapists who have been trained traditionally often do. Right, and and you know I think it's it's bears repeating that, like you said, when that person walks in the door from session to session, it can be a different presentation. You know, and so yes, absolutely. yeah, and I think to have the organization of this model, I think it for a therapist, it can help to sort of streamline your your treatment of that of that individual who's coming into you being a different person each time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I- totally makes sense and you can it expedites what you're going to do in your treatment session because time is a factor absolutely Uh, most of us have only half an hour to 45 minutes on subsequent visits an hour initial visit and then half an hour 45 for subsequent visits and so you have to cut to the chase pretty quickly in terms of where you're going to go because we need to leave sufficient time initially to hear the story, to hear the, the patient's experience with changes that you've asked them to make in their life. Mm-hmm. And then we also need a good 10 to 15 minutes at the end of the session to rewire the neural networks and to work with them in their movement back so mm-hmm. that we can consolidate the new movement strategies that, that we want to incur. Right. You can't just give, tell somebody what to do and give them a piece of paper with it written out on it and have them leave the clinic and explain that they can actually experience in their body what it is to do it optimally. So mm-hmm. through, through touch, through words, by doing at least 15 repetitions within the clinic of what it is that you're wanting them to do in their meaningful task, whether mm-hmm. it's taking to a squat or a one-leg stand or lateral lunge or a step-forward lunge, mm-hmm. by, by being with them there as their movement coach, you'll have a much better uh, chance of success when they come back. Sure. And, and you know, that's, I guess, kind of answers my question. You know, you found your driver, you do your treatment, you know, the patient then goes on on their own. And, 
you know, I, I think oftentimes, like, for instance, let's take and, and, you know, I'll just say let's take our patient with, you know, low back pain again with walking. You know, sometimes that patient will come back and, and they'll say, you know, I, what, if they come back and say, well, now I have, it's worse. You know? Yeah, or often they'll come back and they'll say, well, I was better for two or three days, but it's all come back. So exactly. your, your, pro, your program isn't working for me. Right. And that's the time to stop them and go, whoa, hang on. I did my job. You didn't do yours. Mm-hmm. Because if they're leaving the session feeling better and they're better for two to three days and then it comes back, it mm-hmm. means that they've reverted back to the non-optimal strategy for walking, mm-hmm. right? So they haven't... And, and yes, it's, it's, it's a bit of your fault as well in that they haven't really understood what it is that they need to be working on and mm-hmm. that this is really brain training. It's not strength and condition right. training. We're re- retraining the brain. Sure. And the, the, the key thing that often happens for patients is that they go to see multiple different practitioners who do release, 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 yes. release, lots and lots of release, whether it's through massage, needling, manual therapy, manipulation, right. uh, whatever it is. And they... they come off the table having had this release done to them, and they feel fantastic for a while. But mm-hmm. because the brain is still using these non-optimal strategies, it all then comes back. Mm-hmm. Conversely, you have the person who goes, well, I've done the release, the release work, and I'm not blaming any one practitioner. We're all guilty. All professions are guilty of this. Um, and they say, well, I'm going to go do some movement. So they go to Pilates or yoga or the gym or Zumba, or they go to some kind of movement thing. Mm-hmm. And often what happens if they're all malaligned is they don't do very well with it. Because if you take a crooked car and you drive it on, on the Audubon in, in, in Europe, it's going to break down pretty quickly. So right. if you take a malaligned system and you push it really hard or you don't change how you're moving it, but you move it more intensely, it often often tends not to work that well. Right. And the beauty comes when you integrate and combine the two. You release the old strategy. So you can use manual intervention. You can use therapeutic modalities if that's what you like to get the system to soften. You can use dry needling. We can use our manual therapy interventions, whatever. Open up the system. And now you have a window of opportunity to create a new way for them to move. And so we start to uh, create new neural patterns, new neural pathways mm-hmm. in terms of, of movement. And then uh, we use our iPhones and video recorders a lot to create small little video clips of the person with our verbal cues, and we either share them with them in Dropbox or we email short little clips to them so that they actually have themselves doing the three or four movement tasks we want them to do yep. in their inbox, our voices, our cues. We are at their side until we see them again. Yeah. So it's, 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 I have yet to find an exercise software program that actually meets the needs of every individual I see. And so, you know, the, the, all the different softwares uh, and apps now that are available um, on probably both Android systems, I use a, a Mac system, mm-hmm. but through the iPhone, it's fantastic for, for patient education and for, for creating little video clips for them to use as their own home exercise program. Yeah, and I think that's a, a great tip. I actually started, I got an iPhone a couple of months ago, and I started doing that with patients, and you find that that the patient compliance is much better, number one, because they have this little video clip. They're hearing your voice. They're seeing themselves doing the task. And I find that it, it, they improve at that task at a much faster rate. Hugely, hugely. 
Yeah, I, I think I think that's a, a great tip for anyone out there. If you're a PT, um, a great that, it's a fantastic tip to to have your voice and and because like you said, you know, we're sort of the ones that are with them through this journey. So I think it's important that they kind of always have you there at at some point. Um, but Diane, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back with our last segment and kind of wrap things up. So everybody, stay tuned. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Leibowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant. Helping conscious people be better business people. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at monty at montytaylor.com. That's monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at montytaylor.com. Talking Alternative Radio. 24 hours a day. Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by Diane Lee. Uh, we're talking about the the uh, integrated uh, integrated systems model that uh, she and, and uh, Linda Joy Lee have created. And, um, you know, this is our last segment here, Diane. So I know that w- I had sent you p- questions about the slings and all that stuff, but I feel like it would take longer than eight minutes to go through all of the uh, the concept of slings about the pelvis and how they work and and but if you want to give a short little blurb on that um, I know that you had oh, said sure, okay great so let's yeah let's talk about the concept of the slings and and I'll just have you take it from here okay so the word slings has been used in uh, myofascial terms. Tom Myers, for example, talks about in anatomy trains, 12 different trains or slings of muscles. And um, Audrey Lemming sort of introduced the concept in the pelvic world in the early 1990s while talking about an anterior-posterior 
uh, and lateral swings of muscles. And I think the key concept to take away from this is to recognize that muscles truly don't have origins and insertions. And as physical therapists, we spend a lot of time memorizing and learning points of origins and insertions of muscles from, from bone to bone. And what the fascial research is really showing now is that clearly muscles have multiple uh, origins and attachments to fascial structures which separate them from each other and also link them together. Mm-hmm. And it's this serial linking together of muscles that has resulted in this term muscle sling. So that instead of thinking of an adductor muscle, for example, it's just going from the pubic ramus down to the adductor tubercle, Mm -hmm. the the adductor sling is intimately connected to your pelvic floor through Mm -hmm. fascial connections and is intimately connected to the intramuscular septa that separates the gastrox and the tibialis posterior and the deep medial muscles of the lower leg. Mm -hmm. So a medial sling, for example, in the lower extremity can go from your navicular all the way up to your tailbone. So... It's easier to think of a slings of muscles as the muscles actually being the meat in a sausage casing Mm -hmm. and the fascia sort of being the the casing around the sausage and the pass-down points to bone being the the small spaces in between. And that if we were to lose function, uh, muscular function, in any one of those sausage links, it would impair the integrity of the entire sling. Mm -hmm. And the joint closest to that muscle would fail to lose its support and may buckle buckle or hinge or give way. So a lot of the cues and a lot of the um, words that we use for restoring optimal strategies are more about connecting slings of muscles together. So we say, for example, I want you to imagine there's a guy wire that's running from the inside of the arch up, up of your foot up to the center of your pelvic floor. And as you shift your weight onto your, onto your right leg, I want you to think about drawing your foot up into your pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. And you see the whole medial sling, the whole medial connection of muscles wake up and the pelvis be more supported, if in fact that is the, the sling that is being inhibited. Right. So, so instead yeah. of directing and focusing attention to one particular muscle, we, we look at its relationship to those muscles both above and below and all, all around it. And I think the fascial research is really clearly showing us that, that muscles have multiple mm-hmm. uh, connections and influences far, be, far beyond the bone. And it's gotten a lot broader and bigger than just the initial swings that Dr. Fleming talks about. And as far as Tom Myers' work goes, it's absolutely excellent. And there's and it's becoming like Tokyo, where there's like thousands of trains and not just 12 initial right. trains. Right. And, um, and if we think about it in that context, I think that'll give the listeners a little bit of a, uh, something to think about in terms of how they're approaching their muscle training. Right. And so how you kind of address this idea in the integrated systems model is more to kind of educate the patient and to kind of understand how they work better with that or how to understand yeah, themselves and how they integrate better. together. That, that, that if, if somebody says to you, well, my adductor is tight. Yeah. So here's a stretch for your adductor. How does that relate to walking? Mm. So if you do an adductor stretch, you lay on your back and put your foot in a strap and take your leg onto the side or you do some yoga pose or whatever that that opens and lengthens the the adductor, there's going to be no um, crossover into walking if we stay with our fellow with back pain with walking, who say has a hypertonic adductor. Mm -hmm. And instead what we would do is I want you to imagine that this line from your pubic bone to the inside of your knee is like a spring. 
And I want you just to loosen the spring. Let the spring go. Let the length, let the space from your pubic bone to your knee lengthen as your pelvis advances over your knee. Mm -hmm. So they have to conceptually think about and visualize and use imagery and imagining this sling or slinky or band, elastic band, being very, very dynamic. So it's a different concept. And you reconceptualize the idea of a muscle as just being something that shortens and lengthens and, and needs to be stretched. Mm-hmm. It's something that, that, that can be controlled through our brain. Sure. So sure. That's, that's sort of how the integrated system model approaches it, mainly a lot through neuroplasticity and neuroplastic principles in brain training. Sure, sure. And that's a whole other show. Um, <laughs> so I guess, you know, um, one thing that I just want the listeners to know is where can they find more information about all of this? And where can they find more information about you? So um, our website is www.discoverphysio.ca. So discover, D-I-S-C-O-V-E-R, and physio, P-H-Y-S-I-O, dot C-A, and is where you'll find where, wherever we are teaching or lecturing in the world, both LJ and my teaching schedule is there. To really understand and to work with the integrated systems model, you need to come on a course we call the Discover Physio Mm -hmm. Series, which is a a, a 10-month journey that that we take you through, uh, the whole model through the whole whole body. You can also find more information regarding how this approach is applied to the pelvic girdle through um, my book, of which LJ is a major uh, contributor, uh, The Pelvic Girdle, which is now in its fourth Fourth edition, edition. and it's an Elsevier uh, publication. Those are probably the, the two best go-to places to find information about us. And, you know, if you can kind of summarize, what, what are the most important points that you would like the listeners to kind of take home with them today? Oh, so and I've been thinking about this. What are the three key messages? The three key messages that we treat individuals, we don't treat applications. Mm-hmm. There are no clinical guidelines to guide your practice. You're guided by the person in front of you, your own personal experience and the knowledge that you bring to, to, to the journey with that patient. Be creative, be imaginative, um, be informed, follow, follow the research as best you can, but don't necessarily be uh, limited to what it tells you to do. And above all, um, discover. If you find something that seems unusual, you have a choice. You can either ignore it, or explore it, and we're all about exploring and using our imaginations and being and being creative. And this is how we are going to promote physiotherapy one patient at a time. And if I can remi- end with one last thing, of course, we really need to hear your patient stories. So we need to see people starting to publish the case reports again. And while the evidence may say that it is level five evidence, um, if you listen to Roger Carey and Linda Joy Lee's uh, Focus Symposium from iFont, and it's on our website as well, mm-hmm. you will see that the case report is now becoming considered the highest level of evidence that's relevant to clinical practice. So Mm. keep writing those stories, keep telling us those stories. It's how we learn one patient at a time. Absolutely. And and I just wanted to sort of quickly end, because I love the motto at your clinic. So could you tell everyone what the motto at your clinic, which is Diane Lee and Associates, is? So at Diane Lee and Associates on the glass, um, reception wall when the patient comes in, the first big words they see are empower through knowledge, movement, and awareness. And one of the key things we try to help our patients understand is to know what is going on in their body, to understand how they can move 
differently or move better, and to have an awareness that they have a responsibility for how they journey in this life. So to empower people through knowledge, movement, and awareness is the motto we have at the clinic. Yeah, and I think a great way to end the interview. So, Diane, thank you so much for for taking uh, the time out to call in today. And I think the listeners are really going to really going to enjoy this this interview and we'll sort of link it together with the the interview um, when I interview LJ as well. So thanks uh, very much for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much. And and everyone, thank you for tuning in and stay healthy, wealthy and smart. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, I'm Dana. And I'm Don. We are certified certified mediators. mediators. And I am a family and couples licensed therapist and author of Please Don't Buy Me Ice Cream. Our show, New Beginnings, is about helping you and your family recover financially and emotionally and start the beginning of your life. We'll answer your questions on divorce, family court, co-parenting, personal development, new relationships, blending families, and more. Dana and I will bring you to a place of empowerment and belief that even though marriages may end, families are forever. Join us every Monday starting September 10th at 10 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. This is Tony Martinetti, the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Technology, fundraising, compliance, social media. Small and medium nonprofits have needs in all these areas. My guests are expert in all these areas and more. Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern, on Talking Alternative Broadcasting. Are you fed up with talking points rhetoric? Everywhere you turn, it's left or right spin, ideology, no reality. In fact, it's ideology over intellect. No more. It's time for the truth. Join me, Larry Sharp, a.k.a. The Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11 Eastern, for the Ivory Tower Radio Program. In the Ivory Tower, we'll discuss what's important to you, society, politics, business, and family. It's provocative talk for the realist and the skeptic who want to know what's really going on, what does it mean, and what can be done about it. So gain special access to the Ivory Tower and listen to me, Larry Sharp, your Neosage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11, New York time. Go to ivorytowerradio.com for details. That's ivorytowerradio.com. The Ivory Tower is a great place to visit for both entertainment and education. Listen in, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11. It will make you smarter. 
talkingalternative.com.